Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to the One Tax Talks. This is your host Mayuresh Matkar and we are done with the first leg of all the European games this week. We will be taking a look at what happened in Milan with the big derby della Madonnina. We'll also be taking a look at some of the Europa League and the Conference League games as well and in the end we'll also talk a little bit about Sergio Busquets who is confirmed to be leaving Barcelona at the end of this season. But we have to start in Madrid in the Santiago Bernabeu which saw one of the best games of the season played between Real Madrid and Manchester City. So wow, what a game it was between Real Madrid and Manchester City as it ended old square. 1-1 between the two teams after the first leg in the Santiago Bernabeu. A lot to play for in the second one in the Etihad Stadium in Manchester. But, you know, there are a lot of talking points from this game. You know, the Bernardo Silva uh, incident where he kind of takes the ball over the line. In my opinion, he does. And the game should have been stopped there. Uh, the Vinicius goal, the Brilliant strike from Kevin De Bruyne, Haaland being uh, very mute and we'll also look forward to the second leg as well. But you know, talking about this game, this was very well poised to be a battle as to how well does Real Madrid cope with this in-form Manchester City side. And that was a narrative of a lot of pundits around England, especially around England. I mean, there was very less noise from Spain. You know, in the build-up to this, you know, everyone in England was hyping about Manchester City. And not just England, I would say, but all over the world, they were actually saying that, you know, Man City are the best team in the world. They have the best striker in the world. They're playing, you know, centre-backs as midfielders. The technical players are big and strong. How, how are Real Madrid going to cope with it? You know, Vini's going to be cooked with the Carl Walker back in the team. You know, there were a lot of narratives in this game and uh, a lot to, you know, a lot backed up by a lot of uh, good performances by Manchester City. I won't deny that. But, you know, people really forget that we are talking about Real Madrid. And when we talk about Real Madrid, the one thing that they do very, very well, in better than any team in the world, even better than Man City, Liverpool, Bayern, you get me any team in the world, Real Madrid are the best team in the world in terms of soaking pressure, in terms of inviting pressure and to battle through that pressure. That is what they do best. I've been seeing Real Madrid for the last 15 years and I've never seen Real Madrid panic when they are under pressure. Yeah, they might have lost one or two games uh, when they've been put under the pump because it does not work every time. But more often than not, they have stood the test of times. These are the same players which have stood the test of times around in 2016, 2017. They were still there. They're still here now. And they're doing what they do best. So pressure and wait for the right moment that you get that because you have got the experience. You have got the know-how. That's why players like Luka Modric are so important. I was very terrified when I saw the lineup, And, you know, even if... Um, uh, I was I was uh, on the uh, on I was on the periphery of actually playing Nacho as a left back and getting uh, Kamavinga and uh, Kroos in that central midfield. I was I, I actually thought you know with Kroos being in that as a num as a lone six, I thought this could really be a long night for the German and uh, Real Madrid might just lose a trick here. And even Carlo Ancelotti when he uh, gave that press conference uh, on. On Monday, where he was saying, but he actually released the entire lineup. He also gave away tactics, and he does that. I mean, obviously, it's not really difficult to you know understand what Carlo Ancelotti is going to do. You can actually predict what he's going to play, how is he going to play, how are Real Madrid going to play. But it still is very different. It is still very difficult when it gets on the pitch because they have that sort of an aura, they have that sort of an attention uh, that they command from the opposition. You look at Luka Modric; he didn't have the best games. 
but he was still very influential. He he, he was very good uh, and in uh, you know breaking up play on a number of occasions. He did what he had to do in the midfield. He contributed for 60, 70 minutes, and he is not fully fit. You have to understand that he is playing with a massive possibility that he could do something do something injurious to himself and you know get out of the uh, get out of the frame for the season and even miss uh, the nations league final uh, with croatia that is how he is playing he is playing on a thin line right now but you know it is it is what it is right now with real madrid and we'll first get into the match and uh, you know it started as i expected with city dominating the ball and uh, for the first 15 20 minutes the crowd was absolutely silent they did not even had a ooh in there and nothing. But Man City were crawling out chances. They've never had a clear-cut opportunity to go ahead. But yeah, Ederson, had, not Ederson, but Courtois had to make some saves from uh, a bit of a long-range shot. I mean, I can remember the Rodri shot, the Kevin De Bruyne shot. Even Gundogan had a try as well. Um, but, you know, they kept him quiet. They, they kept them quiet, did not allow them to enter into the box. Did not allow them to circulate the ball outside the 18-yard box. So that was very good. Uh, after that 15-20 minutes, I think it was a 20-minute mark where, you know, uh, there was a foul on Ilkay Gundogan. It was made by Antonio Rudiger or I think it was Tony Kroos or Antonio. Yeah, and it was Antonio Rudiger there. I, I, I don't even think that was a foul. I think it was just coming together. And, 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 for, and for the nth time, I'm just fed up with this English commentary feed. I mean... I, I can understand a bit of Spanish, but it's good to have English commentary on your on your feed. And you know, whenever Guy Mowbray starts speaking, he it, it just feels like a Manchester City TV. It it really does. And as a broadcaster, you have to be neutral. You have to be very neutral. And these English pundits, I don't know. I mean, it's just only in England where I see. You know, if you're a Man United fan, if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're an Arsenal fan, if you are. You know, a fan of any English football club, you have to support an English team when they're playing a non-Britain opponent. If they're playing Bayern Munich, you have to support City. If you're playing Real Madrid, you have to support Liverpool. I mean, why? Why would a Manchester United fan really go and support Liverpool when they're playing Real Madrid? Why would a Manchester United fan go and support Manchester City when they're playing uh, Real Madrid? It's just a super weird conversation that I'm really doing right now. But it's it, it really is weird. I mean, that really shows where your loyalties lo loyalties lie. I mean, are they with England? Or are they with uh, your your own team? I mean, if Barcelona are playing tomorrow, I'm not going to be cheering for Barcelona against whoever it might be. You know, if it if it is Bayern Munich, I won't cheer for. Barcelona, if it's Atletico Madrid against Bayern Munich, I won't cheer for Atletico Madrid. If it's, uh, you know, Barca against Inter or Milan or Napoli or any other team in Italy or anywhere in the world, if it's against Liverpool, I'm, I'm choosing the other team. I'm not choosing Barcelona to, uh, to to actually cheer for or to back it. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's a very weird or stupid fan culture there. Um, but yeah, anyways, it, with the English commentary field, it's just too much pro-English clubs. I mean, I can under, I can remember, you know, that, that clattering between Gundogan and uh, Rudiger. That was one. Um, I had uh, even Tony Kroos when he fell, he, when, he, uh, when he dived in. Yeah, there, there was also a yellow card incident. Carvajal, who uh, just pushed... Uh, Grealish with all his antics uh, into this in, into the into the hoardings advertisement hoardings and that was a yellow card as well probably um, but you know they will call all of them out but on English commentary feed they will not call the uh, 
the first uh, challenge, it was in the first minute where Grealish launched, it was a late challenge on Rodrigo, that was a yellow card as well. But they won't say that was a yellow card because they were English commentators. Even that one challenge where Bernardo Silva has stepped on the calf of Eduardo Gamavinga, nobody said that that was a yellow card. Nobody was showing any replays about what happened with that uh, throw-in situation for Bernardo Silva, and we'll come back to it, but it's just so bizarre with this English commentary feed that it is always pro-English clubs. I mean, that's not how it should be, and that's the reason why I prefer there should be a commentary feed from you know countries like Australia or even... Uh, uh, from the United States to Canada, where it's all you know, unbiased commentary feed. I, I just, I just hope there is one, and it's been telecasted everywhere or broadcasted everywhere uh, where I live. But any, anyways, uh, move on to the game. And I saw that that foul between that that incident where Gundogan and Rudiger clattered into each other. That was the moment where. Carlo Ancelotti called a few of his players and actually tried to explain what they were trying to do. They were dominate. They were being dominated in that uh, in that phase until the 20th minute mark and then that Gundogan foul goes in uh, that, that foul was made he had to take he had to get some medical attention and uh, Carlo Ancelotti as I said attended his uh, a few of his players and he said you know what what we need to do here is to just you know stay a bit calm you need to just navigate this from and right now he had, he had a big conversation with Tony Kroos and after that the game completely changed for the next what 15-20 minutes where Real Madrid were dominating the ball Tony Kroos was bowling even Luka Modric was bowling uh, even you look at uh, Fede Valverde he, he had no clue what to do in that entire first half but in the end when he was on the ball even after that 20 uh, after that 20 minute mark he also started to make some runs and there was a, a passage of play, the Man City looked lost and Real Madrid took the advantage and just an amazing sequence of play where Eduardo Camavinga wins the ball in his own half or I think it was David Alaba who passes that ball towards him and then that brilliant one-two between Camavinga and Modric. Camavinga just that one-one-two and he is clear. He is clear in space. There's no one marking him. So much quality this guy has and I mean Florentino Perez, it's a, it's a very humble request to you. As a Real Madrid fan, I would like Ren to have another 25 million euros for that Camavinga transfer because he is an absolute gem. In 10 years' time, we'll be talking about Camavinga like he's on the level of Luka Modric and Toni Kroos. And he will be. He really will be. He is an elite, elite level footballer. Whether he's playing in midfield, whether he's playing at left back, and people are talking about the man of the match performance. Would would does he have to be given to someone like a Kevin De Bruyne or even uh, someone like uh, Vinicius Junior? I don't think both of those deserve it ahead of Eduardo Camavinga, who was amazing. I think the only drawback that you can have is that Camavinga gave the ball away for the City goal. But apart from that. I mean, again, that, that could happen, but I, I wasn't really offended for that. But Kamavinga, my goodness, Kam, Kamavinga is an elite, elite level, mid, level midfielder. And he's just as good when he's playing at left back. It's a certain uh, gem that's been brought in by Real Madrid who can play numerous other positions. He can play as an eight, he can play as a six, he can play as a central, he can play as a uh, proper um, left back as well. And he is amazing to watch. He really is amazing. He never loses a tackle, does he? Bernardo Silva was on him for the entire first half, or even the entire game. Bernardo Silva was on him, but he never panicked. And that's the signs of, and those are the signs of an elite level footballer that we're going to see at Real Madrid for the next, you know, five or six years. So 
not at least for five or six years. I, I hope that he stays for another 15. But anyways, it's up to him. And yeah, as I said, Eduardo Camavinga, what a performance. Really amazing performance. But, you know, you should also be mentioning that goal from Vinicius Juno. That was amazing. That got that ball thudded in, and that was an astonishing strike from Vinicius Junior. And he's be, and there there is some credit here to Carlo Ancelotti because under Zidane, his finishing, his final decision making was just awful. But now, last two seasons, this season and the season before this, where you know Real Madrid were very immensely successful under Carlo Ancelotti, these two seasons. Carlo Ancelotti did something very, very good with Vinicius Junior that his finishing has all of a sudden improved. His final decision-making has all of a sudden improved. Not just him, even Rodrigo's improved. Rodrigo, I think, has been very consistent since the Zidane times and right, right now to, towards uh, uh, the Carlo Ancelotti era as well. He's been very consistent. There is very little that he can pick up uh, from Rodrigo's game, which is very, very poor. He is amazing. Rodrigo, I mean... Both of them have got now with 16 goals in the Champions League. Rodrigo's been very consistent in the big games as well. He's doing what he has to do every single time. He steps on the field with Real Madrid. He has the corazón of a line. He really has. So I've got no very not not much complaints about Real Madrid, but uh, about about Rodrigo. I'm sorry, uh, but as as of now, when Vinicius Junior gets that goal, the entire mood around the around the game starts, you know, changing. Uh, the fans are whistling every single touch made by Man City player. There are chances being made. Vinicius Junior is running ragged on that left-hand side. There are passes being played left, right and centre. The set pieces uh, in the direction of Real Madrid as well. And somehow, somehow Manchester City navigate towards the first half. I think, you know, the big factor in this game as well for me was between Real Madrid and victory, there was only a fit Karim Benzema. Karim Benzema was not fit today. I won't say he had a poor game, but he was not fit. His touches, his movement inside the box, just his pace was lacking. His decision-making, again, is top-notch. He knows what to do, wherever to do. He, some of the other occasions, he was alone. He, he got you know unmarked on so many occasions. And that is the intelligence of Karim Benzema. He's had that for a long time, even dating back to his Lyon days. But uh, yeah, you know, Karim Benzema was so, so good as well. But he just didn't, didn't look fit. I think you've got now, what, eight days to until the second leg. I wish Alvaro Rodriguez is being played uh, in that next game in La Liga so that he's getting some match fitness. Um, Asensio, when he came on, looked very good as well. So there are a lot of things to look at now for Real Madrid as to what they will do. And again, before uh, talking about the second half, we should also be looking at what happened in... Uh, before looking at the second leg, we should also talk about what happened in the second half. Now, that that's the way it should be put by me. And uh, yeah, the second half started as well, where the first half ended. Real Madrid dominating possession. They created chances. I mean, there was a big chance for Karim Benzema, who should have who could have scored. I mean, that was after the, after the goal from Kevin De Bruyne, but... Uh, yeah, Man City, after that 65th minute mark, had a period of around two or three minutes where they kept the ball. And, uh, well, there was that incident for Bernardo Silva, who kind of had the ball outside for a throw-in. And uh, Vinicius Jr. and Camavinga, they thought that was a throw-in. I thought that was a throw-in. Even Carlo Ancelotti thought that was a throw-in. But that ball went out and it's been proved by a 3D technology used by the Qatari broadcasters in Bay Sports that the ball was out. It, it was out. I don't think the VAR checked it. That's, that's just ridiculous. It really is. In a, in a game of this magnitude, in a game where so much is riding on, 
you make such a big blunder. I mean, that is, that, that, that really is poor. But again, VAR, I think, can't do much because, because Real Madrid had possession and Camavinga uh, played a, uh, misplaced a pass and uh, Man City got back in possession. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of things that could go wrong in terms of VAR, but, you know, we need to know the protocols and every single stuff for that. But that, that, that sequence of play where Camavinga and Vinicius just think that the ball is out, I think that's, that's fair on them because, you know, I would have done the same thing. I think if Bernardo Silva would have been in his place, he would have done the same thing as well. But, you know, eventually the ball, the ball was deemed to be in play and it, it led to that goal. I, I take nothing away from that strike from Kevin De Bruyne. It was an amazing hit. He really put his laces through it and there was no chance for Courtois to save it and he had some space there, just a little bit of space and he, he got his shot away and it was a wonderful goal. I think if you ask me, I think the De Bruyne goal was a bit better or a bit special or a bit magnificent than the one that uh, Vinicius scored but uh, yeah, uh, it is what it is right now. After that as well, Real Madrid have had some moments, of, moments where you know they exerted some pressure. Uh, Man City were... A bit timid in this game and we're now standing at 1-1 after the first leg and you know first of all I need to highlight the performances here uh, some very standout performances from uh, Manchester City side were from uh, I think the only best performance that I would say that someone had was Ruben Diaz who made that scintillating tackle for the uh, ball that was played in by Vinicius Junior towards Karim Benzema because if it's not for him that is a tap-in for Benzema. And again, another, another, another time where, you know, you just switch off and Carl Walker loses that ball to Vinicius Jr. And if it was not for Ruben Diaz, that was 1-0 in the 20th minute. Apart from Diaz, I would say Rodri had an iffy game. He really had an iffy game. Gundogan was nowhere to be seen. Bernardo Silva tried, tried and tried, but could not get past Kamavinga. It's not a, it's not a really a detriment of how bad Bernardo Silva was, but it's just a reflection of how good, how just amazing Kamavinga was at left back. Um, then again, uh, look at uh, some of the performances from Real Madrid. I thought Alaba was very good. That tackle on Kepka on Erling Haaland was just amazing. It was a last-ditch tackle, it really was. And he made that look so very good. It was an important challenge, a good stop as well. Uh, from his uh, trailing leg, Alaba, just amazing challenge, uh, that one. Um, another performance that was really good was of uh, Antonio Rudiger. I just thought that this was his best performance till date in a Real Madrid shirt, and this will give him a lot of confidence. Um, apart from these two guys, Camavinga, I've already said it. I also said that uh, Vinicius was, was very good. Uh, another special mention for Toni Kroos. I mean, God knows that I love Toni Kroos very much. He's my favourite player right now in this Real Madrid side. And, uh, I mean, it's not that I don't like anybody else, but uh, I, I just love Toni Kroos more than anyone in this team. And, uh, you know, he played as a lone six. And, you know, I thought that would have been disastrous. I just felt sorry when the lineup was uh, laid out for Toni Kroos. Um, I, felt, I felt sorry for Toni Kroos and... Then that performance from Tony Kroos in that number six role, it was just amazing. In a game where you know that it's going to be very intense, you in white pressure and he's so press resistant, he can knock off a pass very well. He intercepted so many balls, he made, uh, he, he broke up play so many times, he combined with the centre-backs, the former back three, and you know, 
navigate the game through that sort of an area. So he was very, very good. Kroos, you know, I gave uh, the recognition to Vinicius, Camavinga, Rodrigo as well. was very decent in the, in the, in the time that he played there. Uh, Modric looked a bit off, but that's understandable because he's carrying a niggle. And he, he, he was diagnosed with a hamstring injury just around last Thursday. And he was back playing for the Copa del Rey final. I mean, that's, some, that, that's very absurd. But yeah, it, it, it was going to be a... Uh, it, it was a very strange storyline there. He, he met someone in Belgrade, came back in and is now playing again. It's just, it's just really amazing to, to, to really think about that. But now we're going into the second leg. And we'll first talk about... Man City, and I think it's going to be very simple for Man City. They know what they need to play. I think I don't know what's the status of Nathan Ake if he's going to be back or is he not. Um, I believe he will be, um, but if he's back, I think the natural selection says me that Walker will be out, and that says I think if Ake is back, the logic says that. Kyle Walker will be out of that side. It will be Akanji Diaz and Ake playing in that back three. John Stones, who had a decent game as well for Man City, I would say that. And uh, City uh, will play that 3-4-1 uh, no, formation as they do with the ball. That's how they'll do it. And without the ball, it is the Brighton way of pressing uh, in a 4-2-4 or a 4-4-2, however you might like it. So that's the way I think they will go. The crowd will be behind them. I don't know how many fans they do have, but there will be a sold-out stadium for a Champions League semi-final. I hope there will be one. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, the English pundits and everyone around in England saying that, you know, Real Madrid are at a disadvantage because they're playing the second leg away from home. It's not a disadvantage. I mean, Real Madrid, this team is not a team which has never played the first leg at the Bernabeu and then went away and then won the tie. They've done that before as well. So it's not like they've not really been used to these sort of situations. I mean, if you look at the Copa del Rey semi-final, the first leg, Real Madrid lost 1-0 at the Bernabeu. Second leg, they went to the Camp Nou and then they battered Barcelona with four goals. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how the, how, it's, it's the way, it's the perspective of how the team looks at it. You know, so... Uh, Anyways, you, you would say uh, right now Man City will be the happier team with this, with this uh, result. As I said, Karim Benzema, if he was fit, I think he would have had added another goal to Real Madrid. I think that is what I think would have happened. But anyways, right now it is, uh, it is very well poised. And for Man City, you need to just keep a clear head. Just do not have those mind games come again for the... Uh, uh, for the second leg at the Etihad. And again, it's going to be very difficult. It's not like Man City going to steamroll Real Madrid. If I think Real Madrid get an early goal, it just sets up the game in a completely different way. Um, if, if, Real, if Man City get an early goal, I think it could get you know, very interesting as to see how Real Madrid will cope up with it. But as for Real Madrid, how they can uh, approach the second leg? Well, Eder Militao will be back and I expect him to be back into the starting eleven. So, you know, I think given the fact that the game is away from home, and I hate to say that, I really hate to say this, but now given the fact that the game is away from home, I see Carlo Ancelotti dropping Rodrigo, Alaba will play at left back, there will be a midfield of uh, 
Modric, Kroos and Camavinga. I think Camavinga will play at central midfield. And then you'll have Valverde going back onto that right wing. I think that's how I see this planning out. Because Rudiger did a very, very good job against Erling Haaland. I, th- I don't think Carlo Ancelotti is really interested in dropping him right now. That would really be satanic from him to do. Alaba playing at left back. I have got a lot of confidence in Alaba. I have a lot of time for him as well. He's, again, a profound leader at that Real Madrid side alongside uh, the likes of Nacho, Benzema, Kroos and Modric. He's one of those veterans. He's not been there for at Real Madrid for a long time, but he's he knows what to do in crunch situations. So he's going to be there as well. Um, so that's what that's how I think they will play the game. It is going to be very circumspect as to how things pan out in that first half at the Etihad Stadium. And um, there is one point that I would like to make. Real Madrid can afford to rest their entire starting eleven, which they're going to be playing at the Etihad Stadium at the weekend in La Liga. But it's not the same for Manchester City. They're going to play against Everton, who are a team which beat Brighton and Hove Albion going going at the Amex Stadium. And on this weekend, so if they want to play this, uh, if they want to be ch- challenging for the Premier League title, I mean, a slip here can also be costly because they also have the FA Cup final, uh, uh, and they do have games against Brentford and against Brighton away from home as well. So there are a lot of things that could happen. Also, they have got a game against Chelsea as well. So who knows what could happen? But right now, if you ask me, then Real Madrid can afford to uh, rest their entire starting eleven in their next game. Whereas for Man City, it's not going to be that possible. And uh, they're fighting a team which is in the relegation zone. Everton will need something out of this game as well. If they get something out of this game, I mean, I can understand Sean Dyche was watching this uh, Champions League encounter take place. And they will have something to really offer. It's going to be really interesting at the Goodison Park. It's not going to be an easy game. I mean, if you look at it, then I can see Alvarez playing this game. Against Everton, I can see Mahrez being back into the lineup, Foden being back, so that's your front three. Uh, however, you might play here, or even maybe play Erling Haaland just for that insurance. And uh, bench Kevin De Bruyne, I can see them playing Rodri again, Gundogan might play as well. And again, given the fact that Pep Guardiola did not make any substitutions, I mean, this game could again get, it, that could be a factor as well. If, you know, because of the fatigue, and Manchester City players have to be fatigued because it's been a long season as well for them. And um, it, it really, the argument can spin in many different ways. But for now, I think fatigue can also be a factor in that second leg. If Real Madrid get an early goal and, you know, they take control of the game and they have possession for around 15-20 minutes, they, they ask Man City to chase the ball. It could get very interesting. That, that some way, that is how I imagine Carlo Ancelotti will also plan. He's a smart guy. Well, we'll see. It's, it's very, very interesting. It's very well poised in. Pep Guardiola not making substitutions in that second half. As I think he's missed a trick here for playing the entire starting eleven, which in many ways, it's the only choice that he's got to make for the second leg. If Ake is fit, does he come back into the eleven, or does he stick with Kyle Walker? Logic says that he will uh, get Ake in if he's fit. It, it's, it really is intriguing. It's really very well poised for the second leg. I mean, I, w- I would like to double jinx it. I would like to just play a double bluff. And I would say Man City win. They go through to the Champions League final. 
I, I, I predicted Real Madrid will win the game at the Bernabeu. And I was so very close of winning. Uh, the only thing that was uh, that, that denied a victory for Real Madrid was a, was an unfit Karim Benzema. He's been unfit. He's been at 60-70% for the entire season. He's played through that. So uh, it's it's just amazing that he's got these amount of goals. You know, so uh, I I would say you know it's it's very very close. So Man City go through into the Champions League final. I would I mean that's a double blood that I'm playing. I hope Real Madrid go through. I'll pray for Real Madrid to go through, but it's just a double jinx. If this happens to be true, I mean, I would turn out to be a very good sorcerer or something. And if, um, you know, if this is wrong, I will be the most happiest man on the planet. So we'll see what happens at the Etihad. But it's going to be a really, really interesting game when these two square off in Manchester in a week's time. So now we move on from Madrid to Milan to talk about the second Champions League game, which was between Inter and Milan, a very iconic Champions League encounter between the two Milan sides. Um, for the first half, I would say, you know, Milan were really dreadful. Inter rode home their advantage. Uh, they were just brilliant to watch in that first 15 minutes. I thought Milan kept a bit of the ball, but they, ha they were just useless with it, just knocking the ball around within Tonali and the back four. Um, but as soon as Inter were on the ball, every single time they looked to give a forward pass, every single time they had the ball, they were just frantic. They were just you know, so quick to get the ball in their front areas. And I think that was the difference. I think the midfield of Mkhitaryan, Chalanoglu and Barella was just amazing for the first 15 minutes. Whenever they had the ball, they were looking forward. The first intention was to get the ball forward. The back line as well was very, very good for the majority of the... Uh, for the majority of the game, I would say, you know, I thought Francesco Acerbi is becoming one of the best defenders in Europe uh, right now, playing for Inter. He's been amazing uh, since the World Cup. And, uh, well, you know, he's a former Lazio player, also played under Simone Inzaghi there. And he's, you know, kind of carried the form. He's a very experienced guy in many ways. But, you know, it's good to see him play at this level. They're missing Milan Skriniar in that back line. You know, Stefan de Vrij is not really at the level that, you know, we used to being seeing him. But anyways, it was a very, very good victory this for Inter. And that means now they have, they have got, you, would, you have to say they have got one foot into the Champions League final. The first after, what, 13 years since that Jose Mourinho treble. Um, but yeah, it is... Uh, it, it was a very, very good game. And uh, for Milan, you would really have a bit of a sympathy because their main man, Rafael Leal, was injured. And, uh, you know, the, the the difference with that attacking lineup, without Leal, they're just not the same. Because, you know, Salamakers played there and he was just trying to take things 100 miles an hour because, I, I don't know, I think Salamakers could have played his own game and would have had better success. But, you know, he was just... All too, it was all too frantic with Salamakas. Uh, I thought Brahim Diaz had a very good goal, uh, or not a goal, but a very good game in total because he was trying to do a few things right. He was trying to get into the nitty-gritties of the, of the game and uh, trying to make things happen. It just couldn't fall out for him. There was a big chance in the end for... Um, for for Olivier Giroud, which uh, in which you know Brahim Diaz also had a, his his own contribution. Uh, but apart from that, I thought I thought the entire Mil Milan's defense was just terrible, terrible, really terrible on that day. I mean, if it would have been Napoli, I would have understood that you know 
I mean, I would have liked to have Napoli in this semi-final, but it was it was Milan, and you know, Milan really played well against Napoli over the two legs. They hold they hold the fort really well, but th this game, they just took, they just were taken apart. And I think you know the main focus we all talk about the attackers and the defenders, but here I think the battle was won and lost in the first twenty minutes in that midfield. I think um, Brian Diaz, Ben Benazer going missing out is a big. Uh, a big blow to them as well. I don't. I just don't think he will be playing in the second leg too. There is a possibility that Mil uh, that Leao will be back for Milan, and uh, you know, there's a two very very big players for them in that starting eleven. I think Krunic had a terrible game. He was so good against Napoli over the two legs, but I think in this game he was back to where he belongs. I think he's not a really good player. He can do a job. He's not at that level that uh, you know a lot of teams might just want him. But you know. We talk about this game, and as soon as you know Ismail Benacer got injured, I think Milan changed their entire system. They went to a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one with Junior Messias coming on that right-hand side and Salamakis on that left, with them providing the width and Brahim Diaz playing more centrally, which he's not done much. I think he's more likely to be played uh, on that right-side half space where he's cut, where he's almost not been. Uh, not not really required to cut in on his left foot, which is a stronger point. But you know, this time when Benacer got injured, I thought the logical thing would have been to just stick to the system, which has given you success, and play someone like a Pobega in that midfield, and you know, still make those numbers. I think get a bit of uh, Tonali up front and get get him a bit forward and see where where it takes you. But there was none of it, and uh, I think you know, with this scoreline right now, you would. Really fancy uh, Milan to go uh, Inter to go through. They have got the experience as well. You uh, see Andrea Onana, who's playing uh, for the second time in the Champions League final. Not a second time, but he's playing for the third time. Uh, he's already been in the Champions League semi-final before. Francesco Acerbi is a very experienced defender. Bastoni would think that he'll go, he's going to be a world beater in, in many ways. You know, these guys have already been to a European semi-final in the Europa League, so... Um, they will have the experience as Milan side. The team has a history. The players less so. I think apart from Olivier Giroud and uh, uh, Simon Kier, they don't have much to write home about in terms of experience and big European nights. I mean, even Simon Kier is not that um, well versed in terms of how to you know have a game watched up in ninety minutes on a European night. But anyways, this takes us to the second leg in the San Siro. Or should be say the Giuseppe Miazza Stadium because Inter will be hosting them and uh, it will be a very interesting game. I think if uh, Milan get an early goal, it just sets up the game very nicely. Uh, I think Mike Manuel would have a very very big say in this game because he has to. You know, in many ways, th this is the game where they would hope that he comes big. I mean, he's been incredible for Milan over these two seasons. That freak injury that he sustained before the World Cup was just. Uh, it was just very, very sorry for him. It's a sorry story. But anyways, now it is uh, what it is for them. They're not very much guaranteed to get into the Champions League next season. So that would be a big blow to them. You know, that might just mean that they would miss out on Leao next season. I mean, he signed a contract for five years and he's got a release clause in that contract as well. So good on him. Um it's very difficult if you don't have Champions League football to actually keep your stars. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, as I said, for the second leg, uh, you would say that if Inter get get a goal in the first time, it is all over. But, um, you know, football has got some very crazy 
uh, storylines and this just might be one I mean I would not like this to end in a one-sided contest I would like Milan to come up with a few of their own Arsenal in their tank and you know do something do something about the situation navigate through and see where you get I don't think it should be all frantic and all you know haste in in terms of just going at it and uh, doing what what they can do but I think for uh, for for 90 minutes you have to be uh, switched on you have to be um, absolutely tuned in to to every single thing that that there is uh, that there is to and yeah finally you know talking about those incidents and the marquee goals that were scored i thought for the first goal um, i think you know it's 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 a real mismatch it comes off a it comes off a set piece which in the end was uh, it was a cherby and i think it was uh, kake who were in in, in a tussle, a Cherby wins a corner, then that ball came in and what a finish that from Edin Dzeko really was. But in really it was a mismatch between Calabria and Dzeko, two absolutely different human beings. Dzeko is tall and strong, he's old, not old but he's uh, experienced and he's getting on with his age but he knows all the tricks in the book to... Uh, tumble over any opponent and he's very strong for any of those guys who would play for Milan um, I mean yeah you can also argue that uh, you know there are many other players from Inter who can be a menace uh, on set pieces as well you had you know Acerbi and Bastonio two very strong and tall men so you would naturally require Kier and Tomori to mark them by the way Tomori had a fat had an awful game he, he really had uh, Simon Kier I mean he was decent for me but Tomori absolutely awful he was very good against Napoli as I said but you know this game it really was a saturation point for Milan and um, yeah well talking about some other things in this game uh, we had uh, the Mkhitaryan goal for which again you know uh, it's very good work between Barella and Federico Marco to actually get that width on that left-hand side initially. And then that ball came in across, uh, just above the 18-yard uh, box where, again, Tonali was just at fault there because Mkhitaryan is starting from behind him and he's got no idea that he's taken a sprint and he's gone, he's gone beyond him and taken uh, the ball. The first touch was very good and it's just elementary mistakes. You can't, cannot afford in a Champions League semi-final these sort of errors to crumble into a game. That is very basic defending to be honest and they could not do it. Mkhitaryan gets a goal, it's 2-0. I mean it could have been 3 or 4 in the first half anyways, you know that. Lautaro Martinez, I do not understand. I mean Again, it's 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 uh, the referee's mistake, and you know in real time it looked like a penalty. I was I was screaming on the television that it was a penalty, but it wasn't. I mean he dived. Yes, it it did. I mean it's minimal contact, and he dived. It's it should not be given as a penalty. And for and you know it's good to see sometimes that you know common sense prevails. Or sometimes in English football in the Premier League you have you know referees saying that oh my goodness it's it's a contact, so it won't be overturned. This, that, and the other. No, it's it's a stupidity. It 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 really is a commendable thing that uh, Jesus Gilmanzano went on to the monitor and saw it himself. It was not a penalty, and in real time, it did look like a penalty. But again, Lautaro Martinez, you take you were clear on goal. You could have taken a shot at goal. Why did he want to dive in? It could have been three 0 there, but you know it is what it is. I mean, they could have had more goals, as I said. You know, uh, there was a chance there in the second half as well. Uh, for for whom I don't remember. It was a chance for Chalonoglu who hit the post. I mean, that was a very good 
rasping shot. Lautaro Martinez missed a uh, chance where he could not hit the target in the first half. There was also a chance for, um, if I may remember, there was another chance in that first half uh, for Mkhitaryan. Yes, it was a chance for Mkhitaryan. He could have got a brace for himself, but it could not happen. So, you know, it is what it is right now. So, uh, Milan, they still... Uh, live to fight on for that second leg at the Giuseppe Miata Stadium in a week's time. I really do fancy Inter and I think Inter versus either Real Madrid or Man City would be a good game. But for now, it is all to play for at the Giuseppe Miata Stadium. It is very well poised for the second leg. Uh, not very well poised, but very well poised for Inter, uh, rather, I would say. And, uh, you know, it will be a fascinating watch. We'll see, we'll see who goes through. I, for now think that Inter are in a pole position and if they get a goal in the second half before Milan do, then it's all but game over for Inter, for, for Milan rather. So a few other European games were on TV on Thursday. Three of them were played in Italy, one in Florence, one in Torino and one in Rome. The other game, the fourth game, which was between Alkmaar and West Ham United was played in the London Stadium in England. So first we'll talk about the Europa League and we had Juventus against Sevilla in Torino in the Allianz Stadium and to be honest Sevilla was just amazing to watch, they, they really were and you know we can talk about how poor they were at the start of the season and everything but this Europa League competition they know how to get the better of their opponents in the Europa League and they've done it not just this time but for for a long time now and they have got those players in there who know what it is to play for Sevilla in these games you know you look at players like Yassine Bono you have uh, guys like Jesus Navas who's been there for an eternity now uh, someone like Rakitic who's such an experienced player uh, you've got Lucas Ocampos there who was there when they last won the uh, uh, Europa League even, for, uh, even Oliver Torres in my opinion was there when they last won the Europa League at uh, uh, in in for for Sevilla in those lockdown days, so uh, he's they've, they've got really experienced players. They know how to uh, get through in these games, and for this first half, they they just were amazing to watch. They they really were. Juventus, in my opinion, for the entire uh, game, which is second best to Sevilla. They got a goal. I'll give you that. But apart from you know that sad uh, Illing Junior shot. In the second half, I don't think there was any shot on target from Juventus. They they were just bang average in the entire game I mean yeah you could talk about those chances that fell to uh, Dusan Vlahovic and uh, only Dusan Vlahovic in that first half Di Maria was just not non-existent and one thing I would like to highlight here why, why are Juventus really trying this hard to uh, extend Di Maria's contract why I mean just let him go Please let him go. You have to invest in young guys. Why are you giving up, con giving out contracts? I mean, Di Maria can go wherever Messi, Messi is going. Di Maria can go and join Busquets there, or even you know he's he's got friends around in, in Argentina. Go to Boca Juniors or River Plate and enjoy your life. I mean, you would be treated like a king there. But no, he's he's gonna be here at Juventus. I mean, they're very optimistic about uh, getting this contract done for another year. I mean, this is just madness. I mean, pff, they need to invest more on Federico Chiesa. I mean, look at this. It, what, Di Maria has what, started now 15 games this season for Juventus. It makes no sense. It, it really does make no sense for, for, for Juventus to actually extend Di Maria's contract. He's, he just used them the first half of the season to get fit for the World Cup. That 
You know, I can understand that Di Maria is doing that. I would have done the same thing. But Juventus, you need to have some brains. You, I, I don't know what's happening with that club anymore. Uh, but as I said, in this game, they were second best for almost the entire game. They got a goal in the end. Federico Gatti scoring yet again in the Europa League. He did score against Sporting as well uh, in that game in Torino itself. That first leg, he scored it now. So again, it's the same as the... Uh, Real Madrid-Man City game. When it goes to the Etihad, it's a final. It is a one-off game. It's the same with Juventus and Sevilla now. They take it to the Ramon Sanchez-Pejuan in, uh, in, in Seville, and it's going to be a tight game. It, it will be a very, very interesting game to watch. Who goes through? I have absolutely no idea. I'll still back Sevilla to go through, but we'll, this, this, this is going to be really tough to call. Uh, but, you know... Even Juventus have got the experience, but they don't really have got winners in terms of European pedigree. I mean, if Di Maria is one of Champions League with Real Madrid, but that's, what, nine years ago? So, I mean, you can't really call out a uh, proper European pedigree winner in that, in that team right now. So, I would say right now, I would think Sevilla have the slight edge with the home advantage as well. They just completely... Uh, you know, saw the capitulation of Manchester United as well in Seville. So, you know, Juventus are no Juventus is not long shot. So I think they'll get the job done. The other game in Italy was between Roma and Leverkusen, the second semi-final of the Europa League. And I've got to say, you know, I was very disappointed by by Leverkusen. They had a lot of the ball, but really nothing going forward. I don't remember any big save. I think there was one incident where you know that. Ball was hit from, uh, I think it was Frimpong who hit it straight towards Brian Cristante, who's again playing as centre back. And, you know, they've, they've, got a lot, they've got loads of injuries there, Dybala, this, that, and the other. But the one thing is there with Roma is that they love Jose Mourinho and they've, they've let it know. So I think that's one thing that, that's, that drove them here. And I think, you know, for them, I think top four is going to be a very. I think it's still possible, but it's a distant dream, in my opinion, if, um, if if Inter and Milan win their next two games. So, you know, anything can happen in the Europa League. They've got to go next week uh, in, the, uh, uh, in, in the Bay Arena in Leverkusen and see what they can get through. As I said, very disappointed by Xabi Alonso and by Leverkusen in this game in particular. I thought they were not up to the speed Completely, they just lack clinicality in front front players. The final decision making was awful. Roma, in my opinion, defended really well. They, they, they played extremely well for a team who was such marred with injuries. Uh, again, talking about the, the chances, they had loads of chances in this game. Bove could have had a brace had he had he put that. I mean, he had two chances. The one he scored, and the second one he had another rebound towards him, but. You know, it is what it is right now. It is going to be really fascinating to see. It's the second leg will be at the Bay Arena. I expect Xavi Alonso and uh, um, and this Bar Leverkusen side to just go out there with full potential and see where they can go. I think uh, it's still in their hands. If they can win the game, they do have the chance to take it to extra time potentially, or even uh, win this game and finish it off in the ninety minutes because they have injuries there. Roma, so it will be very fascinating to see. Um, you know, if you talk about all the players that they have by Leverkusen, I'd I'd be very surprised if they don't go for it. By the way, talking about Leverkusen, I think it's very important to highlight the job that uh, Xabi Alonso's done. Uh, they were fighting in 15th, 16th position in the Bundesliga 
when he took over and then you know it's been such a great great transition under him they've played well they've showed some identity on the pitch they defended well as well the players have shown a bit of respite in their in in their in their game so i, I I'm, I'm very happy for Xabi Alonso he's doing a very very good job i expect him to stay another season there in uh, in Leverkusen and see where it where it gets him maybe another adventure in Europe as well um before you know a potential Real Madrid call comes up for uh, for the Spaniard as for Jose Mourinho he's he's been linked to a job to Paris Saint-Germain he's joking around in his press conferences that you know if uh, PSG uh, were looking for me they have not found me I, I I don't know if PSG wants to go that route but I think you know, if someone's got to uh, get that dressing room in line, it's Jose Mourinho. You have to get in people like Mourinho, Diego Simeone, or, you know, someone like a um, Zidane. Or Zidane won't come because, you know, he's got those Marseille connections in there and it will be just treacherous to actually ditch those connections and go to Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, but as I said, you know, you need guys like Zidane, or sort of guys like Zidane, Simeone, not Simone Inzaghi, but Diego Simeone. Uh, you've got guys like Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte. These are the sort of guys. Stefano Pioli might just work, but he's not got much to write upon in terms of his resume. But, you know, these are sort of the guys who I would think, you know, are the best fit for Paris Saint-Germain because it, the screws need tightening. I don't, I don't care if they get knocked out again in the quarterfinals. They just need some discipline to get in the score and I think who better than Jose Mourinho but I don't think they're going to go that route I mean uh, Luis Campos is very close to Jose Mourinho in fact he was close when they worked together at Real Madrid around 10 years ago so I uh, don't know what's going to happen but you know if Paris Saint-Germain are looking for a manager you know there is someone who's won two who potentially has reached a semi-final and a final and he won a final last time around in Europe and that's Jose Mourinho I mean, who knows he can win the final yet again this time so yeah, we'll stick to Italy as we move on from Rome to Florence where Fiorentina were hosting FC Basel and it was a very, very interesting game. I thought Fiorentina were good in patches in the first half. They continued to have good spells in the second half but Basel striked twice and uh, Zeki Amadouni, I would say, he's a very, very good player. He scored the winner in this game for Basel. Also, uh, uh, Andy Diouf who's another central midfielder playing for Basel. He's, uh, he's scored a 19-year-old Frenchman, uh, got, got on the score sheet here in Florence. But as it, I should say, you know, Zeki Amadouni is a very, very good player. He's an attacking midfielder, sort of a guy. He gets into the box really well. He's a later, uh, arrives very late in the box. So he's got a few goals, 14 goals and four assists this season in all competitions for Basel. That's not bad returns. And I think he will move to a very, very big club this season. Uh, apart from that, you know, Fiorentina... I said they were good in patches in the first half. They were decent in the second, but they they lost the game. I think it's all to all to play for. Phil Fiorentina. I think they will risk some players uh, in the uh, in the second leg. They will risk their tactics as well. I think it's all to lose for Basel. They've got this game in their hands. They've all be going to their home stadium in Switzerland and uh, playing for the second leg. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how these teams pan out. But for now, I think you have to say uh, Fiorentina. It's it's a really disappointing result, given the fact that they've got some really good players in their side. I mean, Sofian Amrabat is someone who's linked to a lot of clubs right now. You've got players like Terracciano, who's, I think, one of the best goalkeepers in Italy. Uh, you've got other players as well, you know, uh, the likes of... Uh, uh, Artur Cabral, who scored, uh, by uh, by the way, on on yesterday in the Conference League against his former club, Basel. 
uh, he was uh, he was a replacement uh, as he was signed as a replacement from Basel for Dusan Vlahovic when he moved on from Fiorentina to Juventus. So that's some uh, that's some facts uh, facts for everyone to know. And uh, yeah, as I said, you know it's it it's a very very good result for Fiorentina. Uh, I'm uh, not for Fiorentina, but for Basel, uh, I would say as well. Again, that uh, uh, Artur Cabral did not celebrate after he scored that goal, so it's good on him as well. He's also had a very decent season. I mean, he's got what 14 goals this season as well, with three or four assists. He's he's done decent this season. He's got what six goals in the Conference League. So that good returns in in European competition. So that will do him good. They've got good players, as I said. Uh, you know, you've got Icone, uh, Arthur Cabral, and uh, Nico Gonzalez in that front three. Uh, Amrabat, as I said, they've got Bonaventura, who's one of my favorite players in Fiorentina. So he, they've got some good players around. I, I, I think they, if they can, they would get back into this tie. But who knows what could happen? The other game in the Conference League was between West Ham and Alkmaar, and. Uh, this game was played in the London Stadium in uh, in London, obviously, and uh, this game ended in a victory for West Ham United, a victory that they really needed because uh, it was all built up very nicely after that defeat, uh, after that victory over Manchester United at the weekend. It was all set up for this game, this one game in the uh, uh, in 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 Europe. This was a very very important one for all the West Ham supporters and the team as well. They've got themselves over the line. It's a massive victory for, you know, David Moyes, the entire uh, West Ham family as well. They've, they've got themselves over the line for this first leg. They will go to the Netherlands. It's going to be a difficult atmosphere to cope up with. Uh, we'll see how they come. They go through. But it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good game. You know, Alkmaar got, the, got themselves on the score sheet. Uh, but then in the second half, it was side Benarama's penalty and Mikel Antonio, who's uh, now becoming one of the popular players around in London, he's he got himself the winner for West Ham, and, uh, and in the end, it was uh, it was two one. They will take the advantage to Netherlands. It's going to be very tough, as I said, and we'll see what happens. Uh, and before ending it, you know, a few words on Sergio Busquets, who will be leaving Barcelona uh, after the season is over. I mean, I think he deserves to go on a, go out on a high. Something that. Guys like Suarez didn't have didn't have the privilege to do so. You know, guys like um, you know even Messi or even Iniesta for that matter, because they were winning La Liga, but the main focus was the Champions League, and they were failing to win that Champions League title, or getting humiliated on a repetitive basis. But you know, someone like a Sergio Busquets winning the La Liga—that's something that I think he'll want to uh, have on his uh, on his CV. Nine La Liga titles—it's amazing. He's been a great servant to Barcelona and one of the few players in Barcelona colours that I absolutely adored. Um, you know, really liked watching him play football. He's one of the best players uh, in terms of defensive midfield. Not just, not really defensively, but the game's changed. So, you know, he's he's found it a bit hard to cope up with. And even Barcelona have changed his style of play somehow. And, you know, that really does not suit him that much. But what a player he was... Um, Really, really good. I won't say he was the best midfield defensive midfielder because I think that was Casemiro. Uh, but again, through in terms of just distributing the ball from that sort of an area, he was probably one of the best that the game's ever seen. Probably just like Guardiola, as he was uh, in his old days playing for Brest, playing for Brescia, uh, even Roma in Barcelona under uh, Johan Cruyff and all those all those days. So, uh, it, it, it's been a good journey. It's been good to see uh, uh, Sergio Busquets being so good for 
for Barcelona over the years. It's been real joy to watch and uh, all the best to him for his future endeavours. So that's, that brings us to the end of this podcast and we'll meet back on next Friday and we'll see what happens in the second leg of all the ties and we'll be having the three or the six uh, finalists or for the three European games and we'll see to it how it goes. Uh, uh, really not interested in what happens in the league uh, this weekend. I mean, if you have got something uh, really uh, big to look out for, I think it's in the Premier League with uh, Goodison Park getting ready to host uh, Manchester City. It's going to be a very, very big game. Even United against Wolves. I mean, United have lost two games on the trot. Who knows what could happen against Wolves? I mean, Wolves are a good side. They're a decent enough side. They can beat Man United at Old Trafford. They've got a good record, uh, by the way, uh, at, at, at Old Trafford this season, Manchester United. So I think that's something that will... Uh, really encourage them playing in front of their own fans the last two games they played in front of uh, away supporters in Brighton and uh, um, Brighton and also West Ham United I, I would say the game against Aston Villa was also not really that great so we'll see what happens it's going to be really fascinating it's going to be really interesting to see how things pan out in the Premier League as well in La Liga I mean there is nothing to really write home about you know, Real Madrid will probably lose again. Barcelona might just be crowned champions this weekend. You know, there's a lot to look out for in the other games as well. So, um, I mean, I, I, if, if it is possible, I'll try to cover some of the games on uh, on my Twitter account. It is weeklypod underscore O-T-T, W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D underscore O-T-T. And you can also follow me on Instagram, which is weeklypod dot O-T-T, W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D dot OTT just you know replace the underscore with the dot uh, if you want to ping me on Instagram and you can message me as well I'll be there to answer any of your questions or any of your doubts regarding this so uh, until then this was your host Mayuresh Patkar thank you very much we will meet next weekend cheerio